0: Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Wednesday, August 31st. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Africa remembers late Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev.
1: President Gorbachev played a major role in bringing peace to three African countries that had civil war. That was Angola, Mozambique, and Ethiopia.
0: South Sudan graduates the first group of the country's unified army. Angolans wait to see if opposition party UNITA will officially challenge the election's results. Analysts say challenges to Kenya's presidential poll results have improved election integrity. The first ship carrying Ukrainian
2: cream to Africa arrives in Djibouti. The food on the Brave Commander will feed 1.5 million people for one month in Ethiopia. So this makes a very big impact for those people who currently have nothing...
0: And Nigerian authorities pledged support to find missing people. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Associated Press reports, quoting Russian media, that former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev has died. He was 91. Gorbachev, as the last leader of the Soviet Union, waged a losing battle to salvage a crumbling empire, but produced extraordinary reforms that ended the Cold War. Ambassador Herman J. Cohen served as U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President George H.W. Bush. He is also the author of a 2020 book entitled U.S. Policy Towards Africa, Eight Decades of Real Politics. Ambassador Cohen tells me that Gorbachev should be remembered as a leader who played a crucial role in bringing peace to three African countries that were at civil war at the time.
1: President Gorbachev played a major role in bringing peace to three African countries that had civil war. That was Angola, Mozambique, and Ethiopia. When he met with President George H.W. Bush in 1990, he said, why don't we work together in bringing peace to these countries? And President Bush agreed. So Gorbachev assigned one of his people to work with me. I was the Assistant Secretary of State for Africa. And we worked in these three countries. We had peace negotiations. And by the end of 1992, all three countries' civil wars ended. So I give President Gorbachev a lot of credit for starting the process of bringing peace to these three countries.
0: And yet, Ambassador, as he passes away, we have uh, war in Ukraine that is uh, imposing tremendous hardship not only on Africa, but almost globally. What do you make of that distinction?
1: Well, when he was president of the Soviet Union, even after he left the presidency, he tried to change the political situation in the Soviet Union. He wanted to make it more democratic, but it was impossible. The Communist Party of the Soviet Union was too powerful. And I think that uh, this caused the former President Gorbachev to become very depressed and led to his illness. So his success in Africa was not matched in Russia, I'm afraid.
0: So can we connect democracy in Africa to the role that Gorbachev might have played?
1: I think so, because uh, He said, uh, yes, we must stop these civil wars because the Soviet Union was supplying money to the Mozambican government and the Russian and the Angolan government, Ethiopian, in order to pursue war against the rebels. And he decided that this was not a good thing. Instead of fighting rebels, they should negotiate. So I think this was the beginning of democracy coming to Africa. First you end the wars, and then you bring democracy.
0: Coincidentally, Angola just had elections. How about that?
1: Elections are very good in Angola, but I have the feeling that the government of Angola could not allow itself to be defeated. So I think UNITA, who had observers in every election office, has decided that the election was not free and fair. And I tend to believe UNITA.
0: Ambassador Cohen, in a few words, how do you think Africa should remember the late uh, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev?
1: He was the first Soviet leader to look to have peace in Africa. All previous leaders wanted to encourage civil wars and use of military. He was the first leader to encourage peace in Africa.
0: Ambassador Cohen, thank you so much. A pleasure always to speak with you. Thank you. Ambassador Herman J. Cohen is the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President George H.W. Bush. He was speaking with us from Washington, D.C., The first shipment of Ukrainian grain to Africa since Russia's invasion has arrived in Djibouti. The grain will be distributed in Ethiopia to help the drought-stricken nation cope with worsening hunger that threatens to become a famine. Henry Wilkins reports from Addis Ababa.
3: On Tuesday, the UN Chartered Ship Brave Commander docked at port in the East African country of Djibouti. The ship is the first to carry grain to Africa from Ukraine since Russia invaded the country in February. Mike Dunford, East Africa Regional Director for the UN's World Food Programme, WFP, spoke to reporters at the port.
2: The food on the Brave Commander will feed 1.5 million people for one month in Ethiopia. So this makes a very big impact for those people who currently have nothing and now WFP will be able to provide them with their basic needs.
3: A Russian blockade of Ukraine seaports forced Ukraine to halt nearly all deliveries of grain, which sparked worries of a worldwide food crisis. A settlement between Kiev and Moscow that was mediated by the UN and Turkey in July, known as the Black Sea Initiative, saw a resumption in exports of wheat, other foodstuffs and fertilisers from three Black Sea ports at the beginning of August. The WFP said 150,000 tonnes of additional wheat grain from Ukraine will be sent in the coming weeks, thanks to funding provided by the United States. In landlocked Ethiopia, where the grain is now headed, more than 5 million people have been displaced because of conflict. A total of 17 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance as the Horn of Africa endures another year of drought. Dunford says the Black Sea initiative is a step towards easing the situation.
2: We've already seen a reduction of 15% in wheat prices globally since the Black Sea initiative commenced. What we want to see is more food flowing. We need, from WFP's perspective, millions of tonnes in this region. In Ethiopia alone, three quarters of everything that we used to distribute originated from Ukraine and Russia.
3: There are concerns the resumption of exports from Ukraine may not be enough to make a dent in the crisis. Abdullahi Halake is with the Washington-based advocacy group Refugees International. He says the amount of grain arriving to Ethiopia is not
1: enough. Um, When you consider over 20 million people are in humanitarian in need of humanitarian aid, and food inflation stands at 40%.
3: Um, So I think this is very important. Humanitarian organisations say parts of Ethiopia's northern Tigray region may be in a state of famine because of the conflict there and a de facto humanitarian blockade imposed by Ethiopia's federal government. Although limited aid was entering the region, renewed fighting between the government and Tigrayan forces that began last week led to the UN announcing Monday... That it has suspended aid convoys into the region. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
0: South Sudan government on Tuesday graduated the first group of the necessary unified forces at the country's Jongaram Mausoleum in the capital, Juba. Uganda's President Yowari Museveni and Sudanese military leader Abdel Fattah El Burhan were among the dignitaries who attended the ceremony. Viola Elias reports for VOA from Juba.
4: 21,973 forces comprised of VIP Protection Force, National Security Service, Police and the Prison Service, among others, were officially commissioned as the necessary unified forces after the country's Chief Justice Chan Modud, Modut saw them in. Thousands of South Sudanese witnessed as President Salva Kir graduated them after completing their virus training in cantonment site centers in Central Equatoria State. Speaking at the event, President Keir noted it's been almost four years since the parties signed a peace deal. He says out of all the chapters in the peace deal, the graduation of the Unified Forces has been the most challenging yet most important part of the agreement.
5: We are graduating them in phases because the training centers are widely spread across the country and it is difficult to access some of them because of the floods. The batch we are graduating now are the cadets in training centers in parts of the greater equatorial
4: speaking at the same ceremony. Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni said, Africans have gone through both internal and external crises. Museveni tells the South Sudanese people and the government that public service consumes a lot of resources and urge care administration to invest in agriculture, ICT and industries. He says for all the above-mentioned sectors to be operational need a peaceful country. You should all understand
0: the important, importance of peace and also the importance of the sectors that they generate wealth, which are the other four I have talked about. The army may try to produce, but it cannot produce as much as the population, if the population has got peace. So I'm very happy to see that you are, you are on the right track.
4: Museveni says President Kir told him part of the delay was caused by a lack of money. Ethiopian Defence Minister Abraham Bile, who represented Prime Minister Ahmed abi said the graduation of the Unified Forces is significant in asserting sustainable peace in South Sudan. He says the government of Ethiopia is optimistic that today's graduation marks a great leap forward to ending the transitional period as put in the roadmap. This will definitely
6: a new chapter
4: for the unity,
6: peace democracy, and prosperity of the people of
3: South Sudan.
4: The chairperson of Sudan's Sovereign Council and current head of Regional Bloc Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, Abdul Fatah Al-Burhan, urged South Sudanese to look after necessary unified forces so as they can protect the people. Burhan says today's graduation represents a new beginning and hope for the implementation of the peace agreement.
6: We are honoured today as we witness the graduation of this first batch of the Unified Forces. They represent the first fruit and hope for the implementation of the new roadmap of the revitalised peace agreement.
4: The long-awaited graduation of the Unified Forces happened after several delays, which the government attributed to financial constraint. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba.
0: Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James in Washington. Today is Wednesday, August 31st. Angola's main opposition, the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, led by Adalberto Costa Jr., has until September 8 officially challenged the results of the August 24th presidential elections in the country's constitutional court. If not, the National Elections Commission will officially declare President Joao Lourenço of the ruling popular movement for the liberation of Angola, MPLA, the winner. The commission's preliminary results show that President Lorizo won with 51.7% of votes and that main opposition leader Costa Jr. with 44.5%. Veteran independent Angolan journalist Mario Pai in the Angolan capital, Luanda, tells me the country is waiting to see what UNITA will do next.
5: The latest news on the ground is that... uh... UNITA reacted via his secretary-general, Álvaro Daniel, which says that UNITA do not recognize the electoral results and will react as soon as possible. UNITA is claiming in his statement, his complaint is about the suspended effects of the results of the elections. It means until the process ends, the party do not recognize the official results. UNITA also said that the National Electoral Commissions do not reflect the complaints that the party made in the plenary session of the National Electoral Commissions, which decides the definitive results. They also say these complaints are not reflected on the official minutes
0: how long does UNITA have before it can file a complaint or a challenge to the results? UNITA and other opposition
5: parties they are making complaints against the electoral results will have until next Thursday two official presents to the Constitutional Court is complaints. Then after that the Constitutional Court we we'll have 72 hours uh, to take an official decision so it means we we'll have until next week's long days ahead to at least have the final decisions from the National Electoral Commissions.
0: What is the reaction of civil society and uh, ordinary Angolans to the declaration of President João Lourenço as the winner of the election? Several
5: sectors of the civil society are protesting. The civil society movement calling MUDAR, a Portuguese word, for change in English, are also collecting uh, around 25,000 uh, signatures to and over to the courts uh, in order to protest the electoral results. Other sectors of civil society are also protesting. Small groups of young protesters all around the country, especially in the, in the main cities like Luanda and others, are making small protesters, but the police is answering the protests. Some of them have been detained and they have a summary trial. So we have some kind of uh, political tension Uh, rising uh, around the country and everybody is uh, waiting for the days ahead and uh, what will be the final decisions of the National Electoral Electoral Commission.
0: Mario Parvai is the veteran independent Angolan journalist. He was speaking with us from the Angolan capital, Luanda. For the third time in his career, Kenya's main opposition leader, Raila Odinga, is challenging presidential election results at the country's Supreme Court. Some critics are mocking the former prime minister for again refusing to accept defeat. But legal experts say Odinga's position have improved the integrity of Kenya's elections and the stability of its democracy. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi.
6: The site of 77-year-old Raila Odinga carrying stacks of his petition challenging the outcome of Kenya's August 9 presidential election to the Supreme Court, has gotten mixed reactions on social media. Some critics mocked the veteran politician, while others have praised his persistent fight for what he and his supporters see as electoral justice. Paul Mwangi is Raila Odinga's lawyer who has participated in all presidential election petitions. Those who keep criticizing the fact that Trader files petitions are are the people who would want to commit wrongs and and hope that there is no accountability for them. What they want to do is uh, create uh, an atmosphere of impunity where they are never held to account. The quest for electoral fairness in Kenya started three decades ago following the country's first multi-party presidential election in 1992. The late Kenneth Matiba and Kibaki challenged the elections of President Daniel Moy in 1992 and 1997. Haman Manyora, a professor of political science at the University of Nairobi, says the petitions have helped entrench democracy in Kenya. Any of these things must be seen within the context of the struggle for democracy,
7: human rights, and the overall good of the country. The little gains we have made over years have been from Uh, things of that nature. So when Matiba goes to court, Kibaki goes to court, you are trying to enhance and extend the frontiers of democracy.
6: After upholding the election of Uhuru Kenyatta in 2013, the Kenyan Supreme Court made history in 2017 by being the first court in Africa to nullify the election of a sitting president after Odinga filed a petition in that case the court cited election irregularities and ordered a new vote won by incumbent president Uhuru Kenyatta. Now, after a narrow loss in this year's election, Odinga is back at the Supreme Court for the third time in a row. Here again is Paul Mwangi. The biggest thing we would want the court to do is go back to exactly what it did last time and tell them, we told you to change so that you can deliver a credible election. You did not change. Yet again, you have failed to deliver a credible election. So we are going to do the same thing we did last time, which is that we are going to annul that election. Professor Manyora says challenging the system has long-term benefits. So if you go to court, whether you lose the case or not, at the end of it all,
7: there's something democracy will have gained. There's a can- something the country will have gained. And this is how we must see the struggle of one Rayla Molodinga.
6: The 2022 presidential petition at the Supreme Court marks yet another critical chapter in Kenya's history of poll petitions. Analysts say, regardless of the court's decision, Kenyans are the winners in the long run. Juma Majanga for VOA News, Nairobi.
0: The International Committee of the Red Cross or the ICRC says that 64,000 persons have reportedly disappeared across Africa in the past year, nearly one-third more than the previous year. The ICRC says armed conflict is to blame for the most of their disappearances, and Nigeria alone accounts for more than 25,000 missing people, including nearly 14,000 children, the highest in Africa. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja.
7: A joint team of officials from the ICRC National Human Rights Commission, the Humanitarian Affairs Ministry, and the army addressed journalists in Abuja Tuesday to commemorate the International Day of the Displaced. Officials say the latest figures include more than 2,000 cases registered since January of last year and do not represent the true state of things. Officials said more than half of the missing persons were minors when they vanished and that disappearances were mainly from armed conflicts disasters and risky migration via the desert and Mediterranean Sea. Arrests, detentions, and abductions were also cited as reasons for disappearances. Jan Bonzen is the head of delegation of the International Committee of the Red Cross.
5: The number of missing persons continue to rise every day, yet the ICRC knows that this figure represents a fraction of a wider undocumented humanitarian tragedy. These figures reveal alarming fact that children are particularly more vulnerable than adults to disappearance in Nigeria, as the conflict continues raging the country.
7: 35 active armed conflicts are raging in Africa, including the insurgency in northeast Nigeria that began more than 12 years ago. The war has spilled into neighboring Cameroon, Chad, and Niger. Officials of the Nigeria Humanitarian Affairs and Disaster Management Ministry have pledged to collaborate with other relevant authorities to help families of missing people reunite with their loved ones. Nasir Sanigwaza, is the permanent secretary of the Humanitarian Affairs Ministry.
0: I want to assure you that the ministry is working earnestly to develop humanitarian policies and provide effective coordination of national and international interventions to ensure strategic disaster mitigation, preparedness and response ...managing the implementation of fair social inclusion and protection programs in Nigeria. We will work with the National Human Rights Commission, International Committee uh, of the Red Cross, to continue to pursue important initiatives to tackle the issue of missing persons in Nigeria.
7: Nigerian authorities last year launched a register for missing people and said... They have had some success finding and reuniting them with their families. They also say the ongoing conflict poses huge risks to progress. Anthony Ojuku is the executive secretary of the National Human Rights Commission, NHRC.
0: The issue of missing persons has become increasingly prominent in Nigeria, not only because of the consequences of the conflicts in various parts of the country, but as a result of acts of criminality nationwide, senseless and ruthless killings, and armed hostilities. We have established a database of missing persons in Nigeria, which would address the gap that exists in documentation of cases, and also give families a platform to engage with in addressing cases of their missing loved ones.
7: Nigeria has been waging a war against armed conflicts, ravaging its northeastern and Boronu. Adamawa and Yobe states. Timothy Yobezezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria.
0: And that's it for this Wednesday, August thirty first edition of Daybreak Africa. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Batty in Washington, wishing You will have.